How are y'all today? Good. I'm glad to hear that. Thanks for being here. It is a joy and a treat to do this together. So, so way, way awesome. But we do have one way neat thing before we get started today. Um, there, this is a really cool deal. Yeah, go, come on up. We're going we're gonna to do a, a baby dedication, and this is new for me and, and way exciting. Um, and so the baby's coming. <laughs> and so this is just way cool when, when parents decide to do something like this early on. And so I am going to step back. One of the neat things that we get to do as a church is a baby dedication. We haven't had the privilege of doing this for a little while. Um, so this is an extra special treat for us. Um, I would like to introduce to you, mom is Brianna Lynn, and this is our precious darling. I'm okay, you ready for this? A beautiful name, Anastasia, Grace, Michaela, and Winifred Pierce, also known as Baby Winnie. And Grandma Debbie is over there, and this is our own Miss Valerie. And um, Miss Valerie, uh, by this family, has been chosen to be um, Anastasia's godmother. And so this is a very special treat for everybody involved. Um, but let me just kind of explain a little bit what we're doing, is that uh, for us as a church, when it comes to raising families, we recognize and understand the gift and the challenge that it is to raise families in today's world. There's so much going on around our precious little ones, and we just want to stand around and beside our parents, being able to offer resources and support, love, community, and family in any way that we possibly can in the process of raising, of raising this little one. Um, and so that's what we're doing here today. Um, Bill is going to pray um, over, over Anastasia and the family. And we're just, um, yeah, part of God's plan in this little one's life. She was born with a purpose, and it's exciting to try to com contemplate what all um, he has in store for her. So I will um, hand the microphone over to Bill so we can do that. Wow. What an honor. Uh, join me in prayer, please. Lord, we, we stop and we rejoice in your gift of life, but life that, that has a purpose in your plan for this world. Lord, we just thank you that, that the family will gather around and, and, and raise Anastasia in, in your specific love and purpose that, that she might know you at an early age and be a light uh, for you in the world that she's growing up in. Lord, let her influence, touch, and change not only the, the family, but also those around her. Uh, thank you for this opportunity as a church, as we volunteer willingly to be part of that growth process and support process. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. She <laughs> you wanted that. <laughs> the handing over of this beautiful little one over to Valerie represents her willingness um, to share in this responsibility and to be there for this family um, for absolutely anything. And I'm pretty sure Valerie is in love with her. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much for allowing us the privilege of being part of this. I know, God exists. How can I know that God exists? 
God speak? What makes makes Christianity Christianity unique? unique? How do I know if I'm going to heaven? Why wouldn't God save save everyone? How can anyone believe the Bible? Isn't it full of contradictions? Don't all religions lead to the same God? Why are there so so many denominations? How can Christians claim Jesus is the only only way? way? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? How can you reconcile believing God with science? How could a loving God condemn people to hell? Do I need God to be moral? What about all the hypocrites? How could there be a God with so much evil and suffering? What about people who've never heard of Jesus? Wasn't Jesus just a good teacher? Isn't it all relative? Isn't it all relative? Isn't it all relative? Isn't it all relative? morning. Tough act following a kid, right? Doesn't get any cuter than that. Downhill from there. Questions, right? You saw the video. Uh, We like questions here at Crossroads. It's uh, it's healthy to have questions. It's a good way to learn, and the back and forth of sharing opinions is, is fun and helps sharpen everyone's understanding. So at the end of every Saturday service here at Crossroads, uh, we field questions about uh, the the day's message. Uh, And and then often in between our series, uh, so about every two, three months, we we hold what we call Ask It Weekends, where you can send in a question via email or text and and uh, it's kind of an interesting way to, to mix things up a bit and, and again, le- learn uh, from other people's questions. Uh, and it's never too late to start seeking answers. E- even the most educated theologian, the most educated Christian never stops seeking answers. In, in fact, you know, we love questions so much uh, here at Crossroads that we decided to dedicate a whole series to those questions uh, starting this weekend. Uh, A few weeks ago, uh, as you may recall, we invited you to start sending in your questions. Uh, We we also posted this invitation on social media, and and it really kind of took off from there. It got kind of a life of its own, and that uh, our posting got linked to, to other sites. It even got linked to an atheist site. Uh, needless to say, we got lots, lots of questions, uh, some of them pretty, pretty colorful. Uh, we got way more questions than we can possibly field in, in the course of this series. Um, uh, but we're going to do our best to kind of group them together uh, so that uh, into kind of common themes and, and, and try to uh, uh, handle all of those best we can. So this series... Uh, it's kind of laid out, uh, you know, next week, uh, whew, get your uh, daily inquirer or national inquirer or whatever, it's going to be sex scandals uh, and, and uh, stuff that we hear about just way too, too often. Uh, then we'll tackle questions about Christians being a bunch of hypocritical haters. Uh, then we'll tackle some not-so-pretty parts of church history. Week five, we'll jump into kind of church-state issues for you political junkies, 
And then, uh, I don't know what week six is, maybe it's some sort of uh, free-for-all cage match of, uh, of uh, questions, don't know, uh, but tune in for that one. Now, now, you may have noticed that the title of our series is called Guilty by Association. What, what's, you know, what's behind that? And it really just kind of cuts uh, a few, uh, you know, kind of a, several different directions. If, if Christian posers, say, uh, are misbehaving, this can unfairly give real Christians a bad name. Uh, now, to be fair... Real Christians are, are flawed and make very visible mistakes, legitimately creating kind of a, a, an image problem. Uh, behavior aside, though, some biblical teaching just on their own are, are less than popular and, uh, you know, they're kind of countercultural, uh, regardless of the, of the, of the, uh, the messengers, you know, uh, it's just kind of guilty by association. And sometimes if, if people have it out for, for God, they're angry with God, whatever, his followers get wrapped up in that reaction as well. So with that onward, uh, today's topic, uh, week number one, theology. Uh, and, and maybe you know, more broadly or, or accurately rather, theology of God. Uh, bluntly, What's up with God? Uh, because let's face it, he, he can be kind of hard to figure out. Throughout the Bible, uh, people were approached by God d- despite them not totally understanding God or his ways. E- even Moses, you know, you probably heard about Moses who would be used by God to, to do great things, had, had a, a really basic question. You know, he says, excuse me, sir, before I go on this lifelong mission trip for you, what's your name? It, you know, and it, it doesn't get a whole lot more basic than that. So if you have questions about God, you're in good company. For the sake of today's message, uh, let's just assume we've gotten past the whole does God exist question. Not, not to dismiss that question the least. It's, it's legitimate. Uh, it, it's just more than we can cover in detail along with everything else we're going to do today. But assume we've done all the research, looked at all the facts, including the, the science of things uh, like the complexity of the universe and, and human DNA and decided that Statistically speaking, there's, there's, there just has to be a higher being of some sort, which, by the way, the, the data does support. We conclude an intelligent being has to exist. A, a, a designer will call God. So, so if you get to that point, you start to develop the next level, the next kind of set of questions. Uh, depending on what culture you're in, see, I made the baby cry. <laughs> the star of the morning, I made the star cry. So I'm sorry. <laughs> so depending on what culture you're in, y- you might then look for different sources uh, of, of information. And, and if you're 
part of the, the Western culture that we're in, you'll likely next turn to, to the Bible to get some answers and, and learn more about God. Uh, turns out the Bible has a lot to say about God. You know, who, who knew? Uh, but you, you look to the Bible for the answers. And while some of us find the Bible helpful in understanding God, others of us, you know, a lot of us, frankly, can find the Bible just a little bit confusing. Uh, Richard Dawkins, you may have heard of him, a famous atheist, uh, was once asked by someone who was uh, leaning toward becoming an atheist themselves and, and, and asked Dawkins, can, can you recommend a book to help me further along toward atheism? Dawkins' answer, just read the Bible. Uh, and, and he might have had a point uh, because understanding the God of the Bible is challenging. In, in parts of the Bible, he seems to be pretty transactional. Uh, if you obey, you're blessed. If you disobey, you're punished. Uh, six chapters into the Bible, uh, God kills just about everyone and decides to start over. Uh, yeah, chapter six, right? Uh, you know, so not off to a good start with understanding God if you start in Genesis. Uh, sometimes uh, God is doling out punishment. Other times it's all about grace and mercy. Uh, does he want to wipe out the Assyrians or save them? Uh, Jesus has some amazing teachings and rules for life, but is he God or man? Uh, uh, on one hand, God loves everyone and wants everyone to be saved, but at the end of the Bible, most people are getting schwacked. Uh, so which part of the Bible can we look at to get the most accurate understanding of God? About 10, 15 years ago, I, I, I'll have to ask Barb for the exact date. My wife Barb and I hiked up Mount Whitney, uh, which is the, the highest mountain in the continental U.S. Uh, so together with a, a group of, of uh, our friends, we left Whitney portals very early in the morning. Headlamps, you know, on our heads, looking down so we didn't uh, trip over or over any things. Uh, so the next series of pictures, they're, they're not ours. I just downloaded these from uh, uh, the internet to give you a, a sense of what the trail was like. Parts of it were just beautiful. How many have, have ever done Mount Whitney? So a few of you, right? So you, you'll, you'll kind of understand all this. Parts of the picture, parts of the trail were, were just gorgeous. I think the picture is... is not far away from Lone Pine Lake, gorgeous area, and, and is just really a short, short hike uh, out of Whitney Portals, beautiful stop uh, if you're interested in just doing part of that trail. Beautiful, right? Others, uh, not so beautiful. Um, uh, 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 some parts of the trail were pretty easy. Some of it kind of hard. Watch your step or you're going to have a soggy boot. Uh, um, some of it was pretty safe. 
some of it pretty dicey. You know, this, this section right here, when we did it, it was icy. And I, I'm pretty sure those, that cable fence was, half of it was down. And literally, you, you slip off of that and it's a long fall. So parts of it kind of, kind of dangerous. Different parts of the journey were just completely different. Uh, same mountain, but just different. Uh, but I have to say, in order to uh, appreciate the fullness of Mount Whitney, not only did I have to experience the, the individual sections of the trail, but I also had to kind of step back and, and look at it in its entirety. Uh, if, if I had become familiar with just the individual pieces, that would be insufficient to completely appreciate Mount Whitney. If I had just soaked it in from afar, that would have been insufficient as well. I had to do both to gain a, a full appreciation. And I think our quest to better understand God from reading the Bible works in kind of the same way. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are all these stories. Uh, they can seem disparate and, and, and random at times, sometimes beautiful, sometimes ugly, sometimes easy, sometimes just mind-blowingly hard. And as we read only a, a, a few of these stories and soak them in, you know, they become familiar to us and we keep going back to them are kind of our favorite parts but at some point we, we realize that first that if we just kind of cherry pick a few stories in the Bible our, our understanding of God would be incomplete we have to to hike the entire trail of the Bible to to appreciate God and then second, if we don't occasionally step back and gaze at the entirety of the Bible as a single story, we'll miss the overarching message and maybe misunderstand some of the individual pieces of the Bible in the process. As we often say, context is really important when reading the Bible. So it seems the secret is both in the details and the big picture of the Bible. And this journey through the Bible isn't solely an intellectual pursuit either. It's about forming and growing a relationship. Jesus says, you think scriptures give you eternal life? These are the, the very scriptures, he says, that testify about me. These scriptures that testify about Jesus. Uh, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus tells us in this passage that we can get head down in scripture and miss the forest for the trees. Understanding scripture is good and necessary, but, but not if our goal 
is only knowledge. It's possible to, to know a whole lot about Scripture, but not know Jesus. Which, which leads to a, a couple of disclaimers that should probably make. First, Crossroads is not responsible for your knowledge of God or your journey to know God. We meet one hour a week uh, here for weekend services, maybe another hour or so in a life group or a class. Our, our, our weekend messages, if you've been coming a while, you, you'll notice that we don't do verse by verse. You know, we're working our way through every book of the Bible over a course of years it would take. We instead take uh, isolated verses as proof tests, texts rather, to to support what we hope are biblical-based messages. But the fact is, Crossroads and, and no church, for that matter, is a substitute for each of us studying and praying our way through the Bible ourselves to, to gain a, a personal understanding in uh, that personal relationship. And we, we say this all the time, right? Each of us has to climb Mount Whitney ourselves to get a, a full appreciation. Crossroads will gladly help and coach. We're all in this journey together to better understand, but, but church time is not a substitute for our own personal time. The second disclaimer or, or caution maybe is as hard as we'll try, we'll never completely understand the Bible. Kind of a kick in the head, right? You think work hard, you'll figure it out. If you think you figure it out, uh, you're, you're fooling yourself. Um, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. Yes, seek. Always seek a better understanding. But, but the objective is not some intellectual state of perfect understanding of the Bible. Like I said, you'll never get there. But the objective is to keep us curious, to keep coming back to engage God to engage him in that conversation. It, it, it's, it's about faith in God, not faith in our ability to perfectly understand him through the Bible. Think about it as the, the best mystery novel ever with cliffhanger after cliffhanger. And as you reread the Bible again and again, mysteries are solved and new ones emerge. It's, it's just amazing. So with all that on board, and, and the acknowledgement that as confusing as the Bible is, it, it's still the best way to learn about God. In our remaining time, uh, we'll look at what the Bible has for answers to a few common questions, you know, those common questions that we kind of group together from all your inputs. So what are some common questions about God? Question number one, why does God allow so much evil and suffering? 
you know, a, a tornado wipes out a, a whole neighborhood, mass shootings, starving or abused children, illnesses. People often react with, with kind of the following logic. Uh, an all-powerful God should be able to stop evil and suffering. And a loving God should want to stop these things. Leading to kind of a common conclusion that because evil does exist, either God doesn't exist or he's not very loving and or he's not all that powerful. Some, some religions try to explain away the suffering as just kind of a, an illusion from a, a different dimension of sorts. Others water down God's power. Others, like Islam and Buddhism, essentially claim God, you know, he's all-powerful, but is kind of detached and uncaring. But Christianity owns it all. Evil does exist, leading to suffering. God is all-powerful, and God does care. And in fact, Christianity even ups the ante on all of this. You know, uh, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, we read, but against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Yes, there's evil that we can easily observe. Uh, we, we see it around the country and the world. Just flip on the news, look at your favorite news website, see it every day. Uh, we see evil and suffering and, and experience it personally. In, in fact, we might even admit we contribute to some of the evil in the world. But over and above all of that, the Bible makes it clear that is even worse than what we see. There's this whole other realm of evil playing out around us that, that, that we can't see, that, that's frankly even scarier than what we do see. The Bible doesn't run away from this idea of real evil. So given evil is real, is God powerful enough to intercede and do something to stop it? This is what God says. He says, is anything too hard for me? The Bible is pretty clear about this. Uh, verse after verse about how mighty and powerful God is. Uh, God created everything according to the Bible. The Bible is full of spectacular feats, floods, droughts, overcoming dire military odds with a, a snap of God's finger, miracle upon miracle at the grand level as well as interceding at the individual level. The Bible clearly boasts of God's power to intercede. Then, then maybe God doesn't really care enough about us to do anything about evil and suffering. That's apparently not the case either. Uh, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ? And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. 
His love for us is huge. In fact, He loves us more than we can fully understand. So how do we reconcile all of this? If He's aware of evil in all realms, He's all-powerful and so loving, why doesn't God stop the bad stuff from happening? Here's a few probably incomplete thoughts. Sometimes bad stuff happens to us for our own good. God works out things uh, maybe in the short run, maybe in the long run in a way we won't even notice. But in some way we, we, that we just don't fully grasp, things are going to work out. He, he promises that for his believers. And, and sometimes this hard stuff causes us to grow, as we read in, in Romans 5 there. Suffering per, produces perseverance, leading to character and hope. Uh, re- related to all of this, uh, God allows bad stuff to happen, perhaps. Let's, let's say, you know, the, these bad things are, are consequences to kind of get our attention. Kind of a, a simple example, a, a health problem, let's say, may be the result of poor choice, uh, eating or, or drinking the wrong stuff, no exercise, but begin making different choices, the health problem goes away. Now, now consider all of our sinful, poor choices and, and the consequences that, that flow from those choices, the the, the suffering, the consequences that flow from those choices, maybe through those consequences, God is trying to get our attention. Maybe those consequences will wake us up and will repent and run toward God. Then maybe in the long game, God is speaking to all of mankind uh, at kind of a macro level of, of evil in general. Maybe there are these trigger points at a societal level where we collectively say, we've, we've had it. We're sick of, of all the suffering and evil and bad stuff. Remember 9-11, when, when church attendance spiked even for a short time. Because people felt vulnerable uh, and, and just kind of sensed the evil in the world and just momentarily turned back to God. You know, so, you know, what is this kind of threshold of evil for a, a kind of a society-wide revival? Ultimately, it, it may also just simply be a matter of faith. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. My ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And, and in Nahum, we, we, we see, we see it's, it's about trust. 
Knowing we, we don't understand God's plan and His reasoning for when He chooses to intercede and, and when He doesn't, perhaps our choice is, is to just trust Him or not. It's possible that God has, has reasons for allowing evil to persist that we just don't understand. It's not very satisfying. But then understanding everything doesn't require faith. Ultimately, we, we know how the book ends. Maybe we, we just need to build our trust in God as his master plan plays out. I'm not as, as good as I need to be at that kind of trust that, that leaves me settled and not worried. How about you? Second question. How can a loving God punish people through eternity in hell? First, to be clear, uh, God doesn't want anybody to spend eternity in hell. Uh, he is patient with us, not wanting any of us to perish, but, but every one of us to come to, to repentance. Fortunately, he, he is very patient, waiting for more people to turn to him. I've heard some people say they wish for for the second coming to accelerate, uh, for it to happen sooner rather than later. But what about your, your family and friends that are, that are unsaved? What if he had come the day before you had crossed the line? Gladly, God is patient, very, very patient. But there, there is a, a limit. There, there is a limit to his patient, patience. At, at some point, either through our own deaths or, or through the second coming, it, it'll be game time. Still, you know, how can a loving God send anyone to, to hell for eternity? First, while, while God is loving and patient, He's also holy and just. You know, they sang holy, holy, holy to, to emphasize just how holy God is. In fact, His holiness is so great that His very nature won't allow Him to be in the immediate presence of sin, according to the psalmist. No evil can dwell with God. He's that holy. God is holy and just. All his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. And with justice comes a penalty for sin. our sins, every one of our sins. There must be justice. This, this principle is, is borne out 
beginning with the account of, of the Garden of Eden in, in Genesis. A- Adam and Eve lived in God's presence through their, their free will choice as sin entered Adam and Eve, it, it severed that perfect connection with God. Justice required a penalty. They were removed from God's presence, doomed to suffer and ultimately die. Ezekiel and Paul captured it, it, it this way, the, the one who sins is the one who will die. And then Paul jumps in and tells us, for the wages of sin is death. Not just a, a physical death either, it's, it's kind of an eternal spiritual death separated from God and hell as punishment for our sins. Of course, there's a, a pretty important footnote to all of this. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. And he did this on our behalf. Although he's within his rights and nature to send all of us to hell, out of, out of love, God mercifully offers a substitute in the person of Jesus for those who have faith in him. Kind of a game changer. This certainly speaks of God's love. To be clear, though, justice is not suspended. Justice is still required and dispensed. There's still a death for our sin. Jesus' death. As, as punishment for our sin. So in answer to the question, God actively sends people to hell because his holiness and justice demands it, and he is true to his nature. Some you know, try to soften this by arguing that God simply allows people to go to hell because he's, he's giving them exactly what they wanted. If, if someone has spent their entire life pushing away from God, uh, creating as much space between them and God, God simply granting their wish. So to some extent, hell is a choice. Maybe. But more completely, hell is a punishment flowing from judgment. Last question. Why is God a jealous God, and why does he need us to love, glorify, and worship him? These are are, are just a a couple of verses that acknowledge that that God wants us to to love him fully, uh, and he's he's over-the-top jealous if we worship anything but him. And if you look at these verses in isolation and, and wonder if you know, is, is he some kind of egomaniac asking us to love him more, more than our parents and our kids? Yes, kind of got me thinking. Barb and I have been married 40 years as of next month. Uh, she's pretty amazing to have 
put up with me for, for all that time. One of the things I've, I've learned over these 40 years is that I'm happier when I'm loving her more. Um, this isn't kind of a happy wife, happy life thing. That's real. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. It, it, it's just true. When my love for her is at its peak, I'm happiest. You know, I am better off. Maybe you've noticed the same in your relationships. But there are reasons why sometimes this doesn't happen this way. Usually it's because I'm just being self-centered. And other times, I guess I'll say it's when she's less than perfect. This happens just so rarely. Maybe only three times over the 40 years. Last night she was here and I said four times. She said, name them. So I've modified it. It's three. During these rare, <laughs> during these rare times, frankly, my willingness to love her more takes a hit. Uh, even though I, I know that my life would be better if I still loved her more anyway, even though she was imperfect. As this is playing out in my heart and, and I'm resisting, Barb is humble enough not to demand in that moment that I love her more because I'll be better off, even though it's true. She knows in these moments, as few as they are, she doesn't have the credibility to make that request. All of this is just a really clumsy way to set up my relationship with God. Being truly perfect, God does have the credibility to boldly say, love me more not because of his ego, but because he knows I'll be better off if I love him more and more. God tells us to worship him, to glorify him, to, to love him, to move closer to him, not because he's self-centered, but because he is us-centered. When, when we're running toward God, we're running away from our sins and toward what is better for us. The reason God seeks our love and admiration is not because he's needy and won't be satisfied until he gets it, but because we, we're needy and won't be fully happy until we give it. 
we are better off close to God, loving him. For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And at the, the heart of the full counsel of the Bible is that this is what Jesus died to achieve. He died to bring us to God where we'll completely enjoy God's greatness. Not for God's benefit, but ours. So that, that is the big picture. You know, I, I'm looking forward to this series as we, we learn more about God and his ways in both the, the details and, and in the context of the full counsel of, of the Bible. Just hope that you, you keep coming back and coming back. Till then, let's pray. God, uh, uh, you know, while you're not fully knowable, we want to know you more. Uh, thanks for the, the Bible in, in the way that it, it captures what we need to know and the way it, it, it invites us uh, to study, to explore, to, to wonder as a way to draw closer to you. Thanks for your patience. Uh, we need your patience as we ask questions and as we seek you. And thanks for your son Jesus, who is really our, our only hope, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.